0: All right. Welcome on this bleak midwinter morning. Glad you're here. We're continuing our series I'm calling Fix It. Uh, Sort of patterned after those, um, you know, home repair remodel shows that apparently my, my TV only plays those shows. Like literally it's HTV with somebody flipping a house or renovating a room or something like that pretty much constantly going on the TV at the poindexter house. So um, we're talking about some changes, and I've got to be careful how I say this. Um, these are changes that Jesus, invi- he, Jesus invites us to live his lifestyle. He invites us to the life that he brings, um, which includes these changes, but he expects us. like He invites us to the lifestyle, but if we say yes, he expects us to make these changes. So I don't want to come across like, here's some changes that he invites us to make. He invites us. To a lifestyle, but if we take the lifestyle, then these are the changes he expects us to make. And if we kind of pick and choose what we want to make, then we're not really going to experience or live his life. So I just want to kind of be careful with my wording because I find myself sometimes um, with a, probably a little too much of an invitational language. Jesus doesn't really invite us to make changes. He invites us to his life. But if we say yes and say follow Jesus, then he expects us to make these changes. Now, the good news is, because I can sound overwhelming, because some of these are pretty big changes, but um, the Bible says, 1 Timothy, Paul says, that Jesus has unlimited patience with us. Isn't that good news? Like, I definitely need to remind myself of that. Maybe that's something like a new mantra for you. Jesus has unlimited patience with us, Um, so he understands that it's going to take a while, but he expects us to make these changes. So um, uh, title for this week's message, How to Catch a Monkey in 22 years. I think that might be my favorite title, um, How to Catch a Monkey. So um, one of the things you're going to walk away from today is, is an understanding of how you could catch a monkey. Um, so you'll, you'll have that as a, as a takeaway uh, to apply to your life should you want to you know go somewhere where there's monkeys and, and catch one. Uh, but, but I had I, um, heard about this method of catching a monkey um, for several years and decided that I would um, search for a video to see if there's any, you know, I spent five minutes, which is I felt like that's all that's really worth spending to try to find a video on this method of catching a monkey, but the idea is there's like a container and you put a piece of fruit in and, uh, well, you'll see. Um, Uh, So I have this video, terrible quality video, um, terrible quality font in two different languages, so just enjoy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you catch a monkey. So uh, if you weren't able to keep up with the font or read the font, basically the idea is there's this this hollowed out container of any kind and the monkey will reach through to get this piece of fruit. and you can get your hand through until you make a fist, and then it won't, because, you know, your fist is, is bigger than, than your loose hand. And, and this monkey will hold on to the piece of fruit, like, it's mine! It will sacrifice its own freedom. Like, dude, let the fruit go, and then go out and enjoy your freedom, and get, there's fruit on that tree, go get. But it will, it will hold on to the piece of fruit, and this is apparently, from what I've read, like a legit way that people of, of older times or other places, like, th- this is how you catch a monkey. And, um, uh, you know, I think to myself, man, mo- monkeys, you think of is fairly smart, like they can do, um, solve problems and things like that, um, somewhat human-like anyway, uh, but in, 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 they will trade their freedom and their well-being, to hold on to something they perceive they have the right to, it's mine, rather than just let it go and then enjoy freedom. Now, um, I'm going to talk today uh, about how this applies to a certain walk with God, to a certain aspect of a walk with God, but really what I realize, man, this, this applies all over. And I, uh, you know, I, I think that that I will probably um, uh, return frequently. Like this will probably be sort of a new um, uh, illustration that I refer to quite a bit because for me it's just wide open with implications. This this catch a monkey kind of thing, because um, uh, there, there just, uh, there's just so many aspects of of what we perceive and we hold on to, and in doing so. We sacrifice our freedom. There's all kinds of things that God calls us to. And we, we, we hold on and trade the freedom that God wants to call us to because we perceive, I got I to have that thing, whatever it is. Um, it applies to you know, fears and anxiety and uh, all kinds of things that we're, there's some lie that we believe for the monkey. It was, that's mine. Or, I want that fruit more than freedom. Like, like, right? That that's there's some lie that we hold on to. Okay, I'll let that go. Um, the concept we're talking about today has to do with with material possessions and like, oh, it's mine. Like we have this. This is our stuff. And that can get us into a lot of troubles, and and we sacrifice a lot of joy and peace and things like that. But then every now and then we get a view of of another, um, uh, we, we get a view of other humans who don't live like that, who, it's the opposite side, where, where they, they, they're open-handed. They're, it's kind of a my house, your house, my house is your house kind of an approach to life, and it always feels good when we see that. like I was reading the other day, I guess back in like 2012, um, which is ten years ago, can you believe that? Jay Leno, um, who's sitting over there in the, in the crowd, um, he, he came today, um, you know i've I've hung around Phil a lot over the past twenty years, and it never that it's what are you what once a month yeah yeah um so so the real jay leno the 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 rich one the really rich one um he was in the uh he's late night or the or tonight show i'm sorry tonight show um doing pretty well but the studio uh, from different advertisers and things like that, they were going to have to make cuts, like sizable cuts to staff. And, um, and so uh, Jay Leno sacrificed 50% of his salary, which, which amounted to $15 million, to go to the staff so they wouldn't have to make cuts. And, um, you know, I mean, that's all relative, right? Because it's, like, or not, not, that, that's, it's not apples to apples is what I mean to say. Um, because he still has $15 million that's his. But at the same time, $15 million is $15 million, and, and 50% is 50%. Like, like, he made a big cut of what he could have felt entitled to to help other people. And, and we see that, and something feels right about that. He did it again, uh, same kind of thing with his car show years later. but But something just feels right when we hear about Humans Like, that's a yay humanity kind of moment when we, when we hear about humans that are willing to just share. Like, I don't need it all. I have enough here. Uh, there was a, you've seen a, the um, Chick-fil-A commercial where um, um, there were two, two workers, co-workers, and there was a car raffle, something they do with the company, and and um, the one girl had won a new car from Chick-fil-A, and she gave the new car to her co-worker who rode to work on a bike every day, even in the winter, because she didn't have a car. She already had one, and she just gave that car. And I, you, you see those things, and it's tough to not get a little bit emotional when you hear stories like that, because it's just, yeah, that's, that's the best of humanity. So, so something on a deep level, I think we get this, like we know, yeah, this is, this is, how, this, this is how it's supposed to be. And yet for a lot of people, there's a pool, and probably all of us to some extent, they're somewhere on the spectrum, where, where when it comes to our hard-earned money or, or certain things or whatever, uh, we just feel this sense, the clenched fist kind of, it's mine. Kind of a, you know, a security thing. Uh, uh, but Jesus calls us to a different approach. He calls us to make this for the sake of the series like this renovation, this this flip in in our approach to life. So I have a couple stories for you from from the Gospels. Um, um, One was a story Jesus told. The other is an account of an actual uh, person who ran up to Jesus. And the first one is a very famous story Jesus told, maybe one of the most famous of all time um, stories in existence. Luke 15, it's called the story of the prodigal son. And we're going to see sort of how this aspect plays out and, and what Jesus has to say about it. Um, in this very famous story, there are two sons and a dad, and the dad is the God figure in the story. <laughs> and the younger son um, asked for his half of the inheritance early, which basically is like saying, hey, dad, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my money now. And the father uh, says, okay, here you go. And, and so the, the implication is that this is a, a, a big farm, a big estate, a big homestead, and, and half the stuff goes to the younger son. And the younger son goes off and wastes it all on what the Bible says, of prostitution and partying, basically, wild living. And he wastes it all, and he's got nothing left. And he comes to this point in, the, in, a, in a pig pen, literally, where he's like, I need to figure out how to feed myself uh, and, and have my needs met, so I'm going to go back to my father, and, and maybe he'll just hire me. And Maybe I can just work for him um, and live uh, at least uh, where my needs are met. So he gets up, and this is where the story picks up. (laughs) So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, again, this is the God figure in the story, saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, like he interrupts him, but the father said to his his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back uh, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He doesn't want to go to the party. So his father went up, went out and pleaded with him and pleaded with him, Are we stuck? There we go. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed your orders and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him, and here's the... This is is a powerful line in the scriptures. (laughs) My son says, God, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. So this becomes a story about an older son. Now, the implication is that the rest of the homestead is his, the younger son already got his share. The rest of the homestead is his, and he had life with this like what comes through in the story? Is this father a stern, harsh disciplinarian, or is he a loving, kind, forgiving, compassionate? That's a pretty good dad. And this older son, there's a party going on, and he doesn't want any part of it. He doesn't even want to eat, to eat the fat and calf that God killed that he's complaining that he can't have. Well, it's there in the house because he's busy thinking about what he's entitled to and what that guy over there is getting that he's not entitled to. And in the midst of trying to sort out what belongs to who and what he has not had that he deserves, he misses the fact that the whole farm is his along with the relationship with this incredible father. So through this story, Jesus said, I mean, do you see that, 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 that this older son is like holding on? He's clinging to this, like that monkey? He's clinging to this thing and missing out on this incredible life, this incredible, this incredible experience that he could be enjoying the whole time. So we see this mindset of, of it's mine, which also then trickles down into who deserves what which a lot of us do. And you see what that robs the older son from? And I think if we're wise, we'll all see ourselves in some way in this story and begin to think, what am I holding on to? And then what am I missing out on because I'm holding on to it? Now, here's another story. And uh, this is from Matthew 19. And uh, if if this isn't... um, If if this isn't the monkey in the canister, I don't know what is. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you don't murder, don't commit adultery. He runs down like the Ten Commandments with him. You don't steal. I shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, went away sad because he had great wealth that he just couldn't let go of. Now the nuance in this language is really important here because by saying come follow me, Jesus was giving him the same invitation that he would given to Peter and John and Matthew. Some of the people that wrote the scriptures and and are on stained glass windows and walked with Jesus and and they not only um, participated with the miracles of Jesus, they were empowered to do healing themselves. (coughs) This was an incredible Adventure that this rich young man was invited on by Jesus. But at the end of the day, he just couldn't give up his wealth. Now, what we learn from the other scriptures is Jesus doesn't say that to everybody. He doesn't tell anybody, sell all your possessions and give it all away and then come follow me. Um, he just knew what this guy's deal was. He knew what this guy was clinging to, what he wouldn't be able to or what he wouldn't choose to or whatever. He knew what was going to hold him back, and he said, just give that up, give that up, and follow me, and it exposed immediately what that guy was holding on to, and so it, it's hard, because we all have something, and it might be material possessions, that's what we're talking about today, or maybe that if you, like, it could be some kind of anxiety thing that you're holding on to, your, your health, your youth, your social status, your whatever, and, and, you know, what's that thing that Jesus is like, just lay it down, just let it but this is a great example of a guy that, that, that he, he sacrificed a lot to hang on to his material possessions. And I, you know, I know it's easy for me to say, how could you do that? How could you, how could you not just give it all up? And fall? I mean, this is, this is the, the, the creator of the universe standing there inviting you to go on that. But we all have things that we just desperately want to hang on to. And Jesus says, I want you to lay that down if you want my life. So um, let's talk about a few places in Scripture where we sort of see the, the life application part of this. Like how do we really, what's the mindset change? So it's like this. Last week we talked about going from from to for. Uh, the first flip was uh, uh, from to for. And instead of asking, what can I get from people? It's what can I do for people? That's an important life change that we need to make if we want to follow Jesus. And this one is, is this idea that it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's my hard earned money that's mine. <laughs> to a transition to seeing everything as God's. Everything I have belongs to God. Now, this is a hard life flip, right? From it's mine. Everything I have belongs to God. Because some of you, I mean, some of you, one of the core tenets of, of, of growing up was a parent who said, that's your hard-earned money. Right? <clears throat> Maybe you had the, the dad looking up over the paper. <laughs> Something along the lines of, you know, that's, that's our hard-earned money or that's my hard-earned money. Like it's So the idea of there's, there's a, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's mine. We're going to see here in a minute that, that God invites a very – so this is a very different – I'm going to finish my sentences. I'm still on that. This my, that's, my, that's my 2022 thing. I'm going to finish every sentence that I start. You guys who've been around Polaris know that I have this problem. <clears throat> All right. Um, this, is, this is Genesis, um, first book of the Bible. The first 11 chapters of the Bible are – they're, they're an interesting setup because we start out with paradise, and then um, paradise is lost from sin. And then there's like, like, and by that I mean that people are separated from God because of sin. And, and there's kind of chaos for the first 11 chapters. And then, and then uh, Jews and Christians who value the Old Testament alike, um, they would say that this is the moment when God steps in and kind of says, okay, we're going to reorder the world. And, uh, and, and so this is, God comes to a man named Abram, who will later become Abraham, Father Abraham, maybe you've heard of him. And uh, and, and, and so take a look. This is is, um, the call of Abraham, it's called. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, if we lived a few thousand years ago, even 5,000 years ago, we would understand that what God is really asking Abraham to do here is to go start a new clan or tribe. Like we could on any given, you know, I mean, leave your leave your house and go to a new place. That's, that's a big deal, but it's not like as big of a deal now. People do that all the time, but back then, go start a new tribe. That was insanity. But then look at what he says. Look at what God says that this tribe is going to be like. I will make you into a great nation, a great tribe, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all People's on earth will be blessed through you. This was a radical new way to look at being a tribe because most tribes and even today most countries we have to be very careful about this and what we want from our country. Most tribes and most countries exist first and foremost for what? Their own well-being. Them first. God says here, you're going to start a new tribe. And through your tribe, all peoples on earth, everybody is blessed. This was a radical new approach to being a human. And through this, We begin to see through scripture time and time again this message that says something along these lines. Everything you and I have comes from God and comes to us first and foremost with the mindset of how can we use it to help? How can we use it to bless others? It's not about you and it's not about me. Everything we have comes from God and how can we use it to bless? That is a huge life flip. From the way most people live. And it takes some time to think that one through. That is not an easy evaluation process to sit and think. Can I really get to that point? How far does God really want me to go with this? Everything I have comes from him and is to be used first and foremost. To bless the world around me. So there's another story that I'll return to that we read last week. It's from Matthew 25. Remember the bags of gold. And it goes like this. We'll be like a man who's the God figure in the story, going on a journey, who gave his servants, that's us. He entrusted uh, his wealth to them. So it's his wealth that he's entrusting to his servants. It's God's wealth that he's entrusting to you and I. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, and each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. And gained five more bags. So the master's money, he took it, he used it, according to the wishes of the master. And he was fruitful with it and got more back. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. So he gives him ten bags. Master, see, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. I've gained five more. Here's ten bags. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You can't see that, that prodigal son language there. Come and share your master's happiness, right? It's that idea of it. Then later on in the story, you see that, remember last week? This is what we talked about last week, that the one who buried his, the one who was given one bag and buried it, um, he brought it back and said, Here you go, here's your bag of gold. And the guy's like, Wait a minute, you didn't do anything with this. You didn't. This was my money, and I wanted you to put it to work, and you didn't. And he takes that bag of gold, and what's he do with it? Remember? He gives it to the man with the ten but with the five bags that doubled it. So the the guy, so we get this double language of of um, he says, I'll put you in charge of many things, including this other guy's bag of gold. So what do we learn from this? <clears throat> this is a common message in scripture. <clears throat> when God looks at how you use your resources. And if you use them like they are first his and use them to bless the world like he asks of you, what does he do? He entrusts you with more. He says, I put you in charge of many. Now, to be honest with you, when I first heard this and thought about this, it sounds like a you cock cocking an eyebrow. Eh, so if I give you... You know, because this is used in the, by some churches and things to like, come on, bring the money in and God's going to bless you. Um, I would never say that because I don't know where God would call you to give toward. But what I can say is I have come to see this passage that I was first skeptical about as a spiritual law. It is absolutely true all of the time. When we get serious about seeing everything we have as belonging to God, and open-handed about how we use it to help those in need, however God asks us to, God will absolutely entrust you with more. He will bless you with more because what God is looking for is who will use resources the way I want them used. Because that's what he wants done. And you'll see that flow. And I'm telling you time and again, I have people come to me when I talk about this, they're like, I, I've seen it. Blessings in my life, blessings in my faith, growth in my faith, everything. When we make the renovation to it's all God's, it's not mine, from it's all mine to it's all God's, and I'm going to use it in ways that honor God to help those in need, God will absolutely entrust you with more. Whatever those resources are, your abilities, your money, your anything. God will entrust you with more. And, and I have never had anybody come to me and say, Yeah, I tried that. I got really generous and I just didn't see God show up. Never have I had that. I've had the other many times. I, we just started that and I can't believe. I can't believe what God has done since we got serious about sacrificial generosity, helping those in need. So just just think that through. Because that is a powerful transformation. I got one more scripture for you. This is from Acts chapter 4, and this is a picture of the first Christians and how far they took it. Okay? All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them in them all that that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, first we see through there that everybody didn't sell everything immediately. Like, it wasn't like Jesus didn't call everybody to sell all their possessions because it says that from time to time they would do that. So, so that you know, we, 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 this isn't I'm not saying everybody needs to sell everything. I'm certainly not advocating that we all sell everything and buy a commune somewhere. I love you people, but I don't want to live with you. But look at the power of what happens when people stop clinging to what's theirs and say, God, it's all yours. What do you want? What, what do we need? What do we want to do today, God? God can do extraordinary things through people that decide they are no longer going to be hindered by the lie of wealth and possessions. So here's what I want to do. We're going to do one last song. It's going to come to you video because we want to bring in um, uh, Sammy Oliver from, from Finley. Um, uh, during this song, I want you to ask God, and maybe this is a brand new thing for you, but invite God to bring to your mind... What are you holding on to? I want you to picture your hand in that jar. There is something, me too, there is something that we cling to saying it's mine. And Jesus says, let go. Let's go and experience the freedom that I come to bring. Because that's what this is all about. I mean, it's the perfect analogy. We sacrifice some kind of freedom that God calls us to. When we cling to something. And what Jesus isn't being mean asking us to let it go. It's not really a test of faith. Jesus is saying, why don't you let that go and experience my life that I came to bring. So what are you holding on to? And then maybe you make some some resolve in your heart during this song to say, you know what? I'm going to let it go and go on this adventure with God. Let's pray. Father, um, Thank you for calling us out of what we're holding on to that is really imprisoning us. You expose the lies in our life that we believe. And you call us to something greater. And I want to pray that right now that that you would be um, active in our minds. And you would point out what we're holding on to. And give us the courage and, and the concepts. What do we need to do to give that over to you, to let our hands go? It feels good to let go of those things and experience freedom in you and the life you came to bring. And we're grateful for that invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.